1: Well, hello, Canada. Welcome to the We Call It Soccer podcast from the Football Grad Network. And yes, I'm your host, Manuel Vef, and I'm super excited because my country won something. And I mean, not Germany. We win stuff all the time. Our other country, Canada, we won something. We won a North American trophy, Jack. It's been a so A North American long. travel, Manu. So long. It's been so long. It's not since the Blue Jays in 1993, not since the Montreal Canadiens in 1993, Someone in Canada actually won something. That's amazing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think hats off to Toronto FC. Definitely the best season by any team in MLS history. There's the debate, are they the best team ever? We'll get to that later. But capped off the domestic trouble with an MLS Cup revenge victory over Seattle. Fantastic stuff.
1: Revenge victory. I mean, uh, we both watched this game. We chatted during this game, Jack. And I think the first... 60 or so minutes felt like I was I thinking, it's like, I saw this game. I remember seeing this game. I watched this game sometime. Oh, yeah, it was last year's game. Pretty much down. Same protagonists, um, same flow of action. It it seemed just like a replay for most of the game, didn't it?
2: Yeah, the first hour, I think uh, Stefan Frey was just transported back in time, I guess, to a year ago because he made nine saves in the first hour. <sighs>
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. And some really good ones, too. Really good ones. But, um, you know, we need. I think I feel like we need to talk about Seattle and the game plan because I was very disappointed by the way they approached this game. I thought that they would approach this game very different from last season because of Clint Dempsey being back. And we chatted so much on this podcast on how they are a better side this year, right? But were you surprised that they approached it this way? Do you think it was necessary? I thought all, they, the two teams were pretty much on par going into this game
2: yeah that's not how it seemed to be at least for from seattle manager brian schmitzer i think he came into the game thinking that his side was a clear underdog like we had debated the Mm. the previous week we thought it was going to be a 50 50 match but that's not how it looked from how we set up his team i guess
1: yeah no really didn't and i didn't see anything of clint dempsey i um, i i without fry they would have gone down very early on and um, the, I, I almost wonder if Brian Schmetzer looked at last year and said, well, it worked last year, I might as well just do the same thing again. And um, having listened to Brian Schmetzer in press conferences in Vancouver and seeing him play, that's I th- it really struck me as very odd because he's always been a very proactive coach, a very active coach and um, someone who tries to have his teams play football. And I didn't think that Toronto were that strong of a side going into this. And then, of course, the curse from last year. And um, I mean, we had Toronto fans write to us on Twitter, right, Jack, saying that they were really worried about this match. And yet Seattle came in with the tail between the legs. And that's, I, I don't know, that was for me the biggest surprise of the, about this final, um, at Kay. least from my personal view.
2: Yeah and I think I think for Toronto as the game started out they could still definitely be worried because they were the better side but at the same time they weren't getting that goal and there was I mean for Seattle's lack of impot- uh I don't know their their failure to really generate anything going forward uh there was still obviously the thought in the back of their mind that they could get a counterattack and get a goal any minute to take the lead but um so to to start off with I guess Jovan Jones was moved back from that left attacking mid or left wing to a left back spot Gustav Svensson came in at defensive mid on the left side and this pushed Nico Sotiero to that right attacking mid right wing position so we were able to to see a little bit of a change in the Seattle lineup but like you said Seattle was the form team coming into this game in Toronto they were kind of getting all of their pieces back from suspension and during the conference finals
1: yeah and I think that's, I mean, maybe Toronto, um, you know, we, we said in last week's podcast that we felt that Toronto didn't convince in the playoffs, but maybe they just left it all on on the line for, for this match. Um, you know, basically saying, okay, look, last year we came in guns blazing, it didn't quite work out for us. And um, it was a bit of a more measured approach. Remember last season too, um Jovinko went off with an injury towards the end of the game right and um maybe that was something in the, in the back of their mind um in terms of lineup i mean not any big surprises it was for no,
2: i mean going from going to that back four the, the yeah, diamond in that field that's instead true. of the four, instead three. of a 3-5-2 and i think yeah, i think true. um
1: and Victor sorry, Vasquez uh,
2: Greg Yeah, Greg Vanney didn't want it to go to extra time again. He didn't want it to go to shootout again because Jovinko can't give you 120 minutes. And, you know, maybe he he Mm. said, okay, we need to avoid that. But, yeah, sorry to go back to what you were saying.
1: Yeah, it was basically a 4-3-1-2 or 4-3-3 even with Victor Vasquez playing just behind the two strikers, right? Uh, The the back four was an interesting move. Maybe to give them just a bit more stability but also to be able to push up um, quicker going forward. And that's exactly what they did. And it's something that worked for them in, the, in that 67th minute when Altidore finally did score after on 187 minutes. You know, if you take the two games together, so he finally did
2: score against Stefan Fly. And, yeah, and finally, one of these teams, one of these teams managed to find the back of the net from open play. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I mean, it was a, it was a pretty much a breakaway situ- situation, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I mean. T- Overdue <laughs> um, <laughs> very overdue. And I think the protagonists in that goal, um mm. Vasquez setting up Jovenko, and then Jovinko playing it to, to to Jose Altidor. Um it says a lot because last year Vasquez wasn't playing there, right? And um maybe he was that missing piece, you know, the player that they needed to just compliment. String together the the midfield with the with the attacking duo, Um, and that's exactly what happened in the final, and that's that's um, pretty much what won Toronto the game.
2: Yeah, and I think the Toronto board will be very proud of that and of that signing because you you look at their designated players: Javinko, Altidore, and Bradley. So they're they're all kind of in the in the middle of the pitch, but there's no link between those two forwards, even if Javinko is dropping back a little bit, and then of of Bradley deep. And that's where he started that counterattack. Drew Moore, the center back, won the ball, found Bradley. Morrow uh, Moro on the left side of defense was was coming into the middle because their Lodero had tried to play a forward on a diagonal, lost the ball, and Bradley plays it to Morrow, goes to Vasquez, to Javinko, and then through to Altador. To score so really just the strength of the spine of that team was really uh mm. kind of what did it what did it for them and i think with going with that back four pushing those fullbacks forward we talked about how ladero kind of is everywhere in, in midfield and if he was on the right and he had to come tuck back in well he couldn't just leave the fullback mm-hmm. so i don't know it was it was uh maybe a tactical surprise for for schmitzer a little bit
1: and it's interesting too because ladero was pushed up right into that yeah. attacking three behind Will Bruin. And um we didn't see anything of Nicholas Lodero. I mean we didn't see anything of Clint Dempsey either. I think those two two players were pretty much shut down. But it's interesting that you point that out because maybe that was the key to Lodero was pushed up, but then because Toronto played with with two fullbacks rather than a three five two, there was no room for him. And um basically was shut out of that final and if you shut out Lodero who is who is Seattle's most talented player, then you basically shut down that side.
2: Yeah, because really, I mean, um I'm looking at the MLS match center and it has it as the four two diamond, but really it's just the two center backs more and Mavinga back. Mm-hmm. You have the fullbacks, and it's really six in midfield. Six across there, Bradley, or shore Bradley, Moro, Delgado, Osorio, and Vasquez there six against five always because you're not going to have Bruin dropping back into midfield mm. and I don't know Joven Jones going forward a little bit but they were they really were nullified so we we talked about Greg Venny. maybe he needs to get replaced I don't think so after that
1: yeah no yeah. Um, sorry Greg <laughs> sorry yeah. yeah you you got that you got that win it was a long time coming though for Greg <laughs> Uh that yeah. was his fourth final I think three as a player one as a coach or was it two as a player two as a coach Anyways,
2: yeah, two and two because th- he had one last year.
1: That's right. So, fourth is the fourth time was the charm for him. Um, I think he was the most relieved man on the pitch after the final was still sounded actually after that second goal. Really, uh, you could see it. It's um. I just really got a sense that there was a lot on the line for this Toronto side uh, in terms of the players on the field, but also, um, you know, Maple Leaf Sports putting in a lot of money and resources into this club. And I think another trophy last season—well, y- yes, they won all the trophies in regular season, but you know, MLS Cup is really where it's at. That would have maybe raised some eyebrows in Toronto, and I think uh, Maple Leaf Sports will now feel very much that the spending was justified but um
2: and maybe even that they could have a mini dynasty on their hands because yeah. as much as there's turnover in mls they have this the core of the squad together and i mean Javinko's 30 he's in his prime
1: and, and i think there's more money to spend
2: yeah yeah especially after the victory
1: and, and you can bet that toronto next season i mean be field there's grand plans um this grand plans to expand the stadium right to make it even more soccer specific it is already quite a very beautiful soccer specific facility so i think that uh, the sky is the limit for toronto really and it's really it's 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 interesting too because now toronto have finally won a trophy again right it's been a long time coming i mean the the toronto maple leafs the hockey team that maple leafs sports owns is the mo- one of the most valuable sport franchises in in sport but they haven't won anything since the 60s, right? And um, Toronto has been waiting for championships. And I think that now that this championship has come in a sport that's not a traditional North American sport will only help the Toronto FC to further grow their brand. And if there is a dynasty coming, that could really set off something in Toronto, which is a very diverse, multicultural city with you know, lots of people coming in from countries where soccer is the number one sport. So it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating, a good time for Toronto to break into this market.
2: Yeah, and no, I think it's even good for Canadian soccer in, in general, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for MLS, because some people say or see MLS and say, oh, the Canadian teams don't have a chance, but you know, obviously they, they do now. And I mean, there, I was looking at a lot into some of the weird rules of MLS and how you have to have the Canadian homegrown players if you're Canadian, whatever. But it didn't matter for, for Toronto. And, you know, they should reap the rewards of, of their hard work.
1: Well, maybe that's one type, uh, slight different uh, discussion point is that there weren't many Canadians on the roster, let alone on the field. So uh, I think going forward, that is something that Toronto will have to work on, you know, the fact that, you know, uh, yes, Jonathan Osorio is is a big key player, but I believe he was the only Canadian on the field. And that's um, not exactly the way you want to go forward as a franchise. Yeah,
2: but Um, but at the same time... uh it's this sport is just even developing in the u.s and mm. it's even i think slower in canada just because of hockey is such a dominant sport in the u.s there's a, a few sports that are dominant but with just hockey being the main sport in canada i don't know you see the uh, there's got to be kids in toronto or in across canada who saw the game and say oh maybe one day i yeah. want to go win and you don't title and you don't
1: see the nationality right they don't care about yeah. that little detail they just see the, the red shirt and the toronto and I mean, the way Toronto FC are branded, I, you know I live on the Canadian West Coast. For me, Toronto is uh, a different place in Canada altogether. But Toronto very much likes to think of itself as the the center of the Canadian universe uh, in more ways than one. But I mean, they're very, very smart. Branded, the way they branded this team is just simply Toronto FC. The colors are red. I think there's a maple leaf even in the logo. that's that's smart branding it's very quickly you know a good way to make them canada's team although i mean i have my own canadian team Uh, i wouldn't go quite as far as saying they're canada's team but i think for a lot of people that are coming new to the sport and do not live in a city like montreal or vancouver where there is an mls team they will very quickly identify with this team especially if they become a dynasty
2: yeah or at least at least have them as their second team you know it's Mm. i think it could be easy especially for if if they're fans of a European club or of a Liga Mackey's club or a South American club, whatever it be, maybe they'll adopt Toronto at least as their second team. And, you know, in these kind of situations, definitely pulling for them.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we need to talk about the first goal, though. Um, slight VAR debate. I thought there was VAR on the play. At least that's what they said during the, the commentating. Um, but that it was quickly decided that the goal wasn't offside. You have oh, a Okay, of a maybe maybe I missed that. Yeah, it, I think that because we having the VR debate is a huge one on the football crowd network right now, right Jack, with, with all <laughs> yeah, the mess every day happening in the Bundesliga. I went to a Bundesliga game yesterday where there was no VR. Uh, I just want to point that out. There was actually a Bundesliga <laughs> game yesterday where there was no VR. Um, it's I know it's almost unheard of these days, but um, from what I understand there was a VR um was used in the patch, but it was very quickly decided that um, the goal was clean. Uh, I know it was tight, but it was very tight. Jose Altidore, I think, with the with the offside, right?
2: Yeah, it's always it's always interesting because on TV you don't get mm-hmm. the best replay, and yeah. the referee was in a good position, so you have to say that he he probably did it did his job right. But you don't get the for some reason we still can't get the best angle, mm-hmm. and it was too it was too close to rule it out. He was, you know, it's not like he was in the six yard box or something. It wasn't as far high up the, up the pitch as that. So I don't know. I think it's, it's a perfectly fine. No call.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I, that's, that's one of the big debates I have about VR is because they have lines on the field, right? Projected that the referees mm-hmm. can see, but the press, we can't see it. They, they tested it. showing it in the press boxes during the Confed cup. We didn't always get it. So we didn't always see what the referees were seeing. Um, From what I've heard, the referee saw saw it on the video and just quickly said to the referee, all good. And so we had actually a VAR decision on this. The perfect way to use it, no one on the field, no one in the stadium noticed it. Um, So applause to the refereeing team if that is the case. Fantastic work because that's how I think VAR should be used. It should be so quick and painlessly that no one ever notices it. Um, The second goal though, you know, at this point, there was a little bit of worry towards the 90th minute with Seattle because Seattle were really pressing quite hard and uh, I guess with the backdrop also from last season, um, that Toronto dominated the match but didn't get the job done. There was that worry, you know, there was a there was a corner kick just before Toronto did make it 2-0, and there was even some uh, some thinking it's like, oh now they're going to have their DD Trockba moment, you know. Um like Chelsea did against Bayern. Um, equalizing in the last moment, even though they didn't take part of the game at all, but wasn't the case here. Uh, Toronto got the job done. Jose Altidore breakaway, um, hit the post, and Victor Vasquez more or less stumbles the ball in the net. Right, and that was basically the end. That was it. Game over. Huge celebration. But what a fantastic moment to cap it off.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Because like you said, they were Seattle. They were pouring players for it. Dempsey was really. That's the moment when he thought, okay, it's going to mm-hmm. be Dempsey doing it. But then. Uh, there was time Jovinka was taking it to the corner, and you know the, some of his other teammates weren't doing so like like he wanted to waste time. But they got their breakaway, and like you said, there was it was just scenes from Vasquez, and the crowd was just sent into raptures, I guess you could say.
1: I'm trying to remember. Did they kick off the game again? <laughs> I think they did, but I it it seemed like it's no, really- no. I
2: think that had to be the end of it.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember because it, it, there was so much celebration right after that. It's kind of like in baseball, you know, the mercy rule. <laughs> the <laughs> referee didn't even bother to kick it back on. Um, I think they do something similar in American football as well, right? Where if it's basically decided you... Yeah, run when they're running the clock. The clock. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, there was really no point at this point anymore because this was the 94th minute. It was already so deep into extra time. There was really no time left for... to. Just, for Seattle to score one goal, let alone two. Um, but Caps of such a fantastic season for Toronto, but also for Seattle. And we need to talk about um, the team that lost for just a moment before we talk maybe a bit more about Toronto, because we're talking about a potential dynasty for Toronto. But I feel like the same could happen to Seattle. I mean, I, I feel like we could, because of the way MLS is set up, these two teams can only meet in the final. This could be a final for years to come because yeah i feel like seattle
2: like seattle's been what well, they haven't been around for that long but they've always been really competitive they weren't they never got to the final you know before or never won before last year but they have always good young players and mm. like jordan morris he's not going anywhere yeah and he, he didn't start in the final but came on and they're losing Jovan jones he's going to darmstadt <laughs> on a free transfer and dempsey's not going to be around forever but just with the uh, the way that club is run they're always going yeah. to be competitive and with i mean their fan base deserves and their fan base is not going to accept anything less than at least pushing for the playoffs
1: yeah win the title i mean i know seattle quite well because they're just down the road from us right and um we're not the biggest fans of seattle in vancouver uh, that's an understatement of the year right here. We have some very nice songs describing our feelings about them. But I, <laughs> I, as, as a reporter, as a journalist, I think there's, I feel a huge amount of respect for how Seattle have built this franchise and uh, this club. Really, you know, with the fan base, the the stadium that they have, it's just a fantastic venue to watch football games and well, football, American football and football games. It's it's just a fantastic facility, and the club as a club is just very professionally run. Brian Schmetzer is one of the smartest coaches I've met in Major League Soccer. Um, his tactics may have been off in this match, but I don't think that's going to happen to him again, because he will probably look at this until his eyes bleed and find out why what went wrong with him. And I feel like that, yes, um, Jovin Jones is gonna leave um, for Darmstadt, interesting move for him I guess but um, I think they will find <laughs> the replacements I think the guy that signed Jovan Jones is not even at Darmstadt anymore and uh, so it will be an interesting how to see how Dirk Schuster is going to use uh, Jovan Jones at Darmstadt because Torsten Frinks of course has been let go Last weekend, and uh, Torsten frinks was the guy who brought him in. But that said, I mean, Bundesliga or German football in general has been a good destination for players from MLS, right? A place to grow. So it might not be the worst move. But it's going to be interesting to see how Seattle are going to replace him. I'm pretty sure Seattle are going to be one of those those teams that are going to be very busy over this this winter period where they where they get the sign players
2: yeah yeah and I guess one more, one more thing Seattle were really they really could have used Ozzy Alonso mm. uh, we have to mention that but um Brad Evans is going to retire, so he'll be out um uh, following this season, so kind of a a leader for them stepping off the pitch but um yeah Branch Schmitzer definitely will have something in the works and they're a team that drafts well, so we'll see who they can bring in during the off season and they'll they'll have some money to spend.
1: Yeah, that's that's the only thing it's it's a rich club, right? I mean, um the limit is only the salary cap I feel for them. They can bring in whoever they want and um likely do it well. I mean, Lodero was was such an amazing signing for Major League Soccer. Um if he was playing in the Eastern Conference, I think he would be lauded much more than he is playing out west. I feel like uh, in in North America the 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 is the the Pacific uh, Northwest Northwestern, particular, you know, um, we have the same phenomenal hockey in Canada. I don't know how it is in other sports, but I feel like it sometimes falls a little bit on, on off the wayside, you know. And I think the same is true for Major League Soccer with Seattle. Um, a lot of times, when they sign someone big, it kind of falls a little bit off the wayside, even though they're such a massive franchise. And I, I think if he were playing in one of the big markets, in let's say New York or LA, I think there would be a lot more buzz about him. Yeah, yeah, I think that's
2: definitely fair to say.
1: But yeah, Toronto, Jack. Um, domestic travel. Do we call it that? I guess they won the Canadian Championship as well. I think for, for some of our listeners who don't understand why that is important, it's quite important. Uh so Canada has a cup trophy in which all professional teams in Canada take part. And these are the teams in the NESL, USL and MLS. There's currently six of them and they play a cup competition and winning the cup is important because it gets you a straight spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. And Toronto won that trophy. Um, I don't want to indulge too much against WUM, but they did win it. And um, so that's a, actually quite an important trophy because that gets them into the CONCACAF Champions League, which is a tournament that they want to win. Um, bold statement, but I guess with the the side that they have, they, they could probably do it. Um, Break the Mexican curse and beat one of those Mexican teams. You know, when when we get to the Concacaf Jack, we will probably have to do a crossover with Golazo. You know. Where, yeah,
2: yeah, that'll be fun.
1: Yeah, it would be a lot of fun. I think do a Concacaf Champions League podcast with Golazzo and we call it Soccer Mix together because I there, there's going there's going to be a fun competition starting in March when you know the MLS teams uh, and the Canadian teams or the Canadian team enters. But um, are they the best team in MLS history, Jack? Or will they have to actually win that continental trophy? You know, break the curse of no MLS team have having won the continental trophy to say, look, we not only have done it all on the MLS stage, but we've actually been the first club from MLS to win a CONCACAF Champions League, and that means we are the biggest, best team in MLS history.
2: Yeah, it's really difficult because. Um, it's not exactly going to be the same squad that's competing in the CONCACAF Champions League, which is unfortunate. But um, like you said, they won the Canadian Championship. They didn't have the chance to win the U.S. Open Cup, so it mm-hmm. is a, a different domestic... Like, it's not a domestic trouble, I guess, if they won the, an American League. But
1: Yeah, it's a complicated one.
2: <laughs> yeah, it'll be an, an international uh, quadruple if they could do that. And I think they, they have the star power that they could... Challenge for the Concacaf Champions League. It's obviously a Mexican monopoly, as you mentioned. But um, they're, if they're able to add maybe a little more depth, just because if you're if you're playing in two competitions of that level and the travel, flying all the way from Canada, so mm. I don't know.
1: Canadian uh, teams I, have done well in the Concacaf Champions League.
2: We need to point. Yeah, well, out. I, guess the, I guess teams have to fly all the way to Canada also when yeah. they play them. You know, it, it works both ways. Yeah, I mean Vancouver
1: got <laughs> to the semifinal last season. Montreal has been in the final and in in the semifinal in the past as well
2: um, I feel like Canadian teams do take it more seriously than yeah. MLS teams for whatever reason
1: I think um, that's actually a very good point I mean in, in Toronto the first thing they said when they when they won the MLS Cup um, is now we want to win the Conqueror Champions League and that's
2: it's well an but then they, they should sign Schweinsteiger because then he could win the World Cup because you know in the <laughs> club World Cup and then
1: <laughs> no no Oh, we'll leave Schweinsteiger to the transfer talk. Um, but it's, a, <laughs> um, it's it's a I mean maybe I think you know the the reason why they take it more serious is um, especially at the latter stages is because Canada has more of a point to prove. Maybe you know saying that um, and the American teams. I think Canada also has a different view of the world than the U.S. Right when you yeah i
2: think i think that's a, a little bit fair to say you know yeah, i i think <laughs> Slightly.
1: because canada you know canada sees itself in the concert of the european powers for example you know it was no problem signing the european free trade agreement for example and it's also when you look at the makeup of the country this this idea of the cultural mosaic rather than the cultural melting pot um having having a rather very global outlook to the world you know it's not Canada is not the be-all and end-all of all countries. It's a country of many countries, and it, it needs to work with other countries in order to work. But that also gives you that out, outlook that um, in order to be someone in the world, that you also need to win something. Whereas in, maybe with U.S. teams, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with U.S. teams, if they win the MLS Cup, that is the maximum, right? Because that's what the most of the MLS fans will watch. They will not necessarily go and watch the CONCACAF Champions League uh,
2: well, I mean, I think month. I think that's why uh, there's so much emphasis on the MLS playoffs rather than just winning the Supporters' Shield. I think the mm-hmm. way that Toronto won the Supporters' Shield, they dominated the league and had scored twice as many goals as they conceded. They had a really dominant domestic season. You know, it's it's like if they would have not progressed in the playoffs, it kind of would have been a shame. But, you know, that's that goes along with that point. Like, MLS fans would be, rather be happy to go in as the sixth seed and then snake their way through the playoffs and win, you know, because that's the the american sports tournament way to win the championship yeah but yeah i don't know maybe people i don't know i feel like people don't know as much about the concacaf champions league
1: yeah but it's fascinating because when vancouver played in the concacaf champions league the stadium was full when montreal played in the final they sold out the um i think it was up until this point the best attended game in canadian history right and um that is, that is just fascinating that these games have such a big pull in Canada, you know, when they get to play against the big Mexican sides, especially against the big Mexican sides. But even against teams from Costa Rica, those games, they really have a big pull. Um, I think the... And, the, the yeah, final, maybe,
2: maybe this uh, Nations League that CONCACAF is going to will help uh, create a little more interest in that, you know.
1: mm yeah it'd be interesting but I think that is something that we have to really keep an eye on and the I believe the knockout stage because it used to be a group stage and and then uh, into the knockout stage now they scrap the group stage and the MLS teams and the Canadian teams get a straight shot to the round of 16 I believe it is and the uh, smaller countries had to play um, the Caribbean cup um, to to get into the Later stages of the Concacaf Champions League, so it's a straight knockout, just like the U- the Europe, the UEFA Cup used to be in Europe. Which I actually think, if, considering the the, the way um, North America is, the, the way Concacaf works, I think it's almost a better format to go straight to knockout. You know, it's the straight straight up cup competition for Concacaf Champions League. But it's going to be an inter- interesting competition to watch when the the North American sides and the Mexican teams enter. Uh, I personally am very excited. I love that competition. I love seeing the big MLS teams go against the Mexican teams even though they always lose but um, <laughs> it's that's going to be a fun one for us to do a crossover I think when when we get to that stage when we have the big teams play each other you know the, the Club Americas the Torontos uh, yeah it's, that's going to be a lot of fun
2: yeah yeah looking forward to it
1: but yeah um, that concludes the MLS season and before the season is after the season or after the season is before the season as the Famous German coach said that won a World Cup with Germany. Um, So we have some stuff to figure out because we get a new team in this league, Um, not through promotion or relegation, simply because they decided that that's how it's going to be. Uh, These are the LAFC. They have, of course, a history in this league, right, Jack? Because they used to be the Chivas Um, and thankfully failed project of Chivas go to Do you have a team in the United States uh, didn't work out quite so well there. so they put that team on a hiatus and then rebranded it as LAFC but I personally think that this is the most exciting new team in uh, Major League Soccer since Atlanta United I know that's only a year ago but I feel like there's a lot of things coming out of LA with that LAFC side that remind me a lot of what Atlanta did last year
2: yeah, I think they would. They would like it to be that way. They'd love to have as much success as Atlanta, but they're doing things the right way. All their branding has been great. They got Bob Bradley, a good experienced coach, uh, Carlos Vela, and now, and they're they're making some other good signings that we'll get to in a minute. But um, yeah, I think I think they're doing everything as well as you can so far at least from an off the pitch perspective. They have obviously haven't played any games yet, but um, they'll be the, then the 12th team in the Western Conference. We'll have 12 teams in each conference and i guess that will be nice
1: the branding is absolutely phenomenal i i i look at this i mean
2: they pick good, they pick great colors
1: they did i mean the black and gold is just um some people were saying that the the version of the raiders and in, in football right when there was uh an american football rivalry in la with uh with, i can't remember the two names yeah, but the it was,
2: rams and the raiders yes the
1: yes so it's kind of like the same idea right the
2: but yeah, because the Rams are blue and yellow, like the Galaxy. I guess them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So kind of like the 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 black team against the the colored like the, the car team of the many colors, and it's like gonna create this like good against evil kind of. I'm not saying that that's what black and gold stands for, but it's kind of like a nice contrast. So and I'm I'm really curious to see how that. Um, LAFC, LA Galaxy is going to rivalry is going to play out in the long term because I think they're they're two teams that are both going for star power but they're they're building a very different image I mean Galaxy is they're the galaxy right they're the team that signs stars but they sign the likes of David Beckham whereas LAFC I think they're going for that really rugged like South American kind of stars Um, Carlos Vela you know who is a fantastic player But there's always been that question mark about him throughout his career. And I think he's going to represent that that team very well.
2: We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot
0: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
2: Yeah, I, th- uh, I think it's going to be good to see, and it's good that they have that rival of the Galaxy to push them because I feel like, I mean, no offense to Minnesota United, but they just weren't competitive this year. And obviously, Elena showed that you can be competitive as an expansion franchise. But, um, yeah, they, the expansion draft was, what, yesterday, two days ago? Mm-hmm. So they had five picks, and teams could decide if which 11... Or, 15 or whatever number of players it is that they can protect and that couldn't be chosen by LAFC. Just, it was a little bit of a change of the expansion drafts in the past, I guess. But, um, yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll go over the picks. They took Tyler Miller from the Sounders, the goalkeeper. He had a clean sheet in the Western conference, uh, finals when Stefan Fry was hurt. So, uh, a good pickup for them at the back, uh, Latif blessing, the winger slash forward from sporting Kansas city, and Marco Urania from the San Jose Earthquakes, another forward. And they also took Yuka Raitala from the crew and Raheem Edwards from Toronto, which is probably the most hilarious moment of the MLS offseason so far, as uh, Edwards and Raitala were traded to Montreal for defender Lawrence Simon. So in a matter of days, Edwards went from winning – (laughs) <laughs> MLS Cup with Toronto to being picked by LA to being traded to Montreal.
1: At least he doesn't have to move halfway across the continent.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope he. I hope he wasn't uh, sending his sights in an LA apartment too quickly.
1: I mean, he gets to stay. Montreal is pretty nice.
2: Uh, I mean, no, actually... no. But just from a, just from a pure moving perspective, yeah. i have nothing against Montreal. or no, I mean, I wouldn't want to drive in LA traffic, but no. you know, so. Uh, although I would say you
1: you know my you know my opinion about winter weather, I think I would much rather <laughs> live in LA. That is no dick at Montreal whatsoever. I, I, it's a beautiful city, but I, I definitely, from a climate perspective, uh, I I don't know I don't know. But um, yeah, that's definitely a funny one uh, because it, that's such a North American scenario, isn't it? That they basically get the guy that they want and then they trade him right away, probably knowing who they already wanted ahead of time, right? And Laurence Simon, um, I guess they knew that that's what they who they wanted to get and they probably knew who they needed to pick up from other clubs in order to get them um it's such yeah
2: i think a... they must they must have already had the deal done with with montreal yeah previously, I... and they said who do you want we can give you these two players and this okay yeah so because
1: they i mean they, they, you know which team which players are unprotected on the other, on the other squads right and um yeah it's it's an interesting one it's, it's the most mls um kind of transfer i like to say we'll we'll get to an even more mls kind of transfer in a few moments but i feel like yeah, maybe that,
2: we need a segment that's so mls or something you that's
1: know? so mls yes uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the so mls signing in a moment because yeah <laughs> i feel like we'll we'll get this a, probably a few more times over the next couple months but um <laughs> they also signed a 19 year old uruguayan today diego rossi and um I have to admit, I don't watch the. I watch a lot of football, probably way more than a selfie, but I'm not a regular watcher of the Uruguayan uh, first division. Not because I don't think it's a good league, just because I don't have time. But from what I've seen in the videos, he looks like a really exciting prospect, and really plays into this this line of thought that MLS teams are going young and South American. I mean, a 19-year-old Uruguayan does not fit the the. The talk of a retirement league which is what you often hear in europe about the mls
2: no and it's a lot of teams bucking the trend and of course you you can't go out and sign the best up-and-coming players from european teams because they're just going to stay there Mm. you know how how could you expect mls to get some of these kind of players so going to south america and using some of the connections that these clubs apparently have i mean i'm specifically talking about atlanta and tata but uh lafc clearly Establishing themselves there, and Diego Rossi, a uh, center forward, he had eleven goals and eleven assists yeah. uh, this season for in forty-two appearances. Uh, I think he had one assist in Copa Libertadores. Libertadores.
1: That's solid for a nineteen-year-old. I mean, that's we have to remember he is nineteen, and um, that's that's very good numbers for a kid that's still developing, right? And uh, I, I
2: think that's good numbers for any forward and forty-two games of twenty twenty-two goals plus assists. You know, that's quality. That is quality.
1: I don't I mean they didn't pick him up from any team in Uruguay they picked him up from Panarol you know one of the two grandes um really when you go to 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 Uruguay to Montevideo it's that's I mean yes I know there's uh, several other clubs in that city but the majority of people are separated between Panarol and Nacional right and um playing for Panarol is a big deal in in Uruguay. It's a it's a team that regularly competes in the in the Copa Liberadores and there's a lot of pressure when you play for that side. So he's done it for them. I think LA can be really happy. Uh, I mean and he joins someone who's really experienced, like Carlos Vila, so that's solid. Really solid signing. I really I'm looking forward to see him. I'm gonna see him a lot because they play of course in the in the same conference than Vancouver. So I, I can't wait to see them come up to Vancouver and uh, see uh, young kids like Diego Rossi. And I'm, of course, they're not done yet, right? They, they have to sign a few more players. I
2: think. Yeah, I think they only have nine so far. But yeah. uh, the other the other one they just signed is Walker Zimmerman from mm-hmm. FC Dallas, uh, another young player, 24-year-old center back. So uh, he's, he has decent MLS experience, 95 appearances, six in the playoffs, 89 in the regular season, and played 22 times a season. He was injured in June a little bit of an MCO problem that kept him off for a few games. But paired with Simon, they're going to have a really solid center-back pairing, obviously the basis to build the team upon.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, of course, um, on the list, this was the signing already, I believe, last week, Omagaba, Gaba, right, from FC Basel. Um, Egyptian, he's Egyptian, I believe, Omar Gaba. Yeah, yeah,
2: he's, I, I, I just made the comparison of him to... Um, was it Al Mohamdi that plays for Villa, obviously, um because Gabber can play on the at right back or in right mid, so it will give them some options because I'm not sure exactly if Bob Bradley even knows. How could he know what shape he's going to play with nine players? He's not going to be able to exactly pick each and every one he wants to sign.
1: And Bob Bradley, of course, has history with Egypt, right? He was the national team coach there for quite some time. Mm-hmm so i think that will be an easy integration for omagaba to to that side but also coming from basel a big big swiss club um very good in developing youth players um i just been down to basel i was very impressed by the club by by the facilities and everything that they have there um they will have a well, they will get a well schooled player in omagaba he's on loan of course i think basel you know basel are the kind of team that want something in return if they want to have him permanently or actually want him back next year as a finished product so um, obviously they expect something to come out of this too um but yeah i think lafc nine players signed will probably expect a roster of what 23 24 players so still lots to do eh?
2: yeah and um i think there will be a lot of loans because as we saw with yamil assad for atlanta the the loan market can be a good one Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he w- he was one of the players that was left actually unprotected by Atlanta, but not chosen the draft just because they don't know about what his, his status is going to be or if you want to use that international spot there or if you're going to be able to get enough GAM or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> who knows? But yeah, Gaba is a good signing. And then uh, up top, then they have Blessing, Rossi, as we mentioned, Carlos Vela and Jerenia, and then Rodrigo Pacheco. So they're... They're building up those forwards and wingers, and then they'll they'll be able to fill the the midfield last, I guess, and maybe with Sussex question.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that would be an interesting one. Definitely be an interesting one, and they still have that room right in the salary cap. I also feel that um, the the Liga MX draft is this weekend, and I feel that there will be some players that don't know uh, don't have a club maybe in Mexico that could also become interesting for LAFC simply because of Carlos Vela playing there. So I think that there's going to be a lot of decisions made right after the Liga MX draft on the weekend. So maybe something to keep an eye on as well.
2: Yeah, there's there's still a lot uh, yet to be decided, mm-hmm. really. As far as MLS offseason goes, Just not not just for LAFC. Yeah. But like you said, I think Carlos Vela is a, a good mentor to have for some of those young players, not even necessarily just forwards. But for the forwards, that's an incredible mentor to have. And I feel, feel
1: the L.A. market, you want to go Hispanic speaking, right, to, to get that market share
2: right away. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know why more clubs don't do that even across the, mm. in the U.S. They, you know, it's such a large part of the demographic. You look at how Liga MX is the most watched league yeah. in this country. And it's not, it's not even necessarily that it has to be in Spanish, but in Spanish hopes for some of those spots. But if Liga MX was televised, I think, in English with English broadcasters, a lot of people would watch it. No, I watch it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's just a a good league and it's more soccer. And, you know, there's a lot of even Mexican-born fans of the U.S. national team. But the favorite team in the United States, of course, is the Mexican national team. Yeah. ussf doesn't want to say so uh,
1: exactly uh, that's a big point i think one team that identified so before, that before
2: i before i dig my ussf president 2022 campaign into the into a hole we'll have to move on
1: <laughs> yeah let's move on uh let's move on to a team that actually did really well on the south american market um building their spine with south american players and that's atlanta united but they have gone out and done the most mls of all mls transfers um Jack, I feel like you need to break this down because I see a lot of numbers on the spreadsheet in front of me with lots of little short short forms. I see TMA, GMA, DPs, uh, salary, and uh, different figures, and um, Darling Nakhby. Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, that's the one that's most important, maybe DN6, <laughs> because he's going to wear that number six shirt for Atlanta. And moving from Portland, I think... Uh, Kind of, maybe kind of Timbers fans had their hearts ripped out the past couple weeks losing Caleb Porter, and that was a big reason I think that Darlington Nagby was willing to move to Atlanta from Portland. And it's what it's going to be the biggest deal in uh, inter, inter inter MLS deal for 1.65 million. It could be worth as much as that, but initially Portland's going to get 750k in general allocation money, mm. and to start off with 300k plus in targeted allocation money which could rise up to 900,000 if incentives are met but basically that money is going to allow portland to either buy down the designated player spot from about 450,000 is what it counts against the salary cap they could buy it down to about 150k so they could fill the rest of their squad with more quality non-designated players or give some other players a raise from maybe not making the league minimum of 63,000 maybe they could make 80,000 or something so it will give some incentives for other players to join that squad either both in the designated player role or in the non-designated player just the the regular player role I guess um but yeah uh it will be worth a 2018 international roster spot as well so they could sign um another foreign player and i think atlanta atlanta um they have a lot of international players so they kind of needed uh maybe an american player and someone who can kind of be the face of their franchise as much as they've had the the south american influence i think they wanted an american a u.s national team player um that they can put on the face of all of their marketing
1: yeah i think so i i think that's that's that was kind of the missing piece, right, um, in Atlanta, and also, you know, that just to add to that attacking lineup, you know, he's a right winger. I mean,
2: he's going to br- obviously bring out the best in Julian Kressel. So
1: yeah, a- exactly. And Julian <laughs> Kressel. I mean, um, talking about someone who's making major headlines. The, there was a three-page-long interview in the kicker. Uh, so he's, you know, he, Atlanta is um, the word on the street in Germany right now, and Julian Kressel is you know he's getting a lot of airtime here um people are already wondering if he's coming over to the Bundesliga at some point but, um you know it's interesting that you know the way he his career is, I know this is slightly off topic but how his career went from Atlanta United he became such an important player signed out of nowhere and um you know really blossomed and um there's now nine German players in the MLS that are all you know went the college route to get there um you know, we don't know what what's going to happen to Schweinsteiger, of course, but um, it's interesting. It's really interesting, and that, that's how that's how becoming like almost like a backup plan now for young German talent that are not making it. And he will be, you know, I think he will do well with Nagby, um as an outlet on that on that right side. I mean, Almiron kind of played right in front of him, right, and um, that was something that that maybe they were missing a little bit, especially when they're playing the Columbus Crew. Uh, in that playoff where they really narrowly were eliminated in in the penalties, right? And I don't think they want to find themselves in that situation again where they have to rely on penalties and rather just eliminate a team like uh, Columbus um, in regular playing time, right? So signing someone like Nagby um, gives them that experience. Nagby, of course, has won a trophy with Portland, right? So that also helps. And um, yeah, face of the franchise and, uh, you know, given that they They're signing, they keep on signing South Americans. He's not an international roster spot. So I think that's very important too because um, they signed Jose Hernandez from Caracas, uh, a Venezuelan. We're going to have a lot of Venezuelans to talk about on this part. But um, that's an interesting league that that scouts are discovering right now, uh, the Venezuelan league because of course yeah but
2: someone someone needs to discover his teammate Volker Fariñas. is the, the most amazing keeper that is still at Caracas FC whereas uh, Jose Hernandez oh, right. is strong you know I don't know I even was playing in, in FIFA in the manager mode and the first thing that happened was Barcelona signed him on a free transfer because Venezuelan League's not in the game but for some reason they just put Farinas in because he's so good and he just instantly went to Barcelona so it was like okay but huh. yeah anyway
1: but venezuela is an interesting place to go right now because of all the economic troubles clubs need the money right and there's so much talent in that competition i feel like i feel like south america is so scouted right every young player who's 15 from brazil ecuador uh, chile argentina everyone will know about him but venezuela is still a dark spot it's like the jungle right for football scouts because it's a country in so much trouble right now you can still find Yeah, and also gems also there. it
2: was more uh, a baseball country even mm-hmm. at some points you know but yeah
1: yeah it's 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 a place because i know that a couple of the bundesliga teams are now starting to scout there simply because they know that that's a league where you can still find um players that no one else has spotted yet so i think it will be only a matter of time but yeah venezuela's hot right now for for talent, it's not great politically right now. What's going on there? But it's definitely becoming a place for for teams to discover. And Atlanta, of course, signing Jose Hernandez from Caracas. Um, maybe someone will sign your keeper, Jack. Could happen. I mean, MLS yeah, would be in, a good place.
2: Maybe he will be a discovery player, as MLS calls it. And then maybe they'll send me like five thousand in general money. So if they get that tip, but. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the the Venezuela, at the, at the U-20 World Cup, Venezuela were fantastic. They lost in the final to England 1-0, but uh, Hernandez was part of this team. And, you know, I don't know why you, you wouldn't keep going back to the well of Venezuela for players you'd be able to pick up for really pennies on the dollar. Just, yeah. as you mentioned, because of the economic troubles in that country. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly. You know, it. they're going to go to Liga MX if they don't come to MLS or if yeah. they don't go to wherever, La Liga or something.
1: And everyone wants to work with Tata Martino, which brings us really to the next kit, Uh, Ezequiel Barco, right, from Independiente in Argentina. This deal is not done yet, but we know from uh, Nico, uh, he is not always right. Uh, Sorry, Nico, you were very wrong with Romero. I have to just point that out here, but uh, he's telling us this kit is the Big deal, Esquibel Bar- Barco, and that he is going—you know—wants to work with Tata Martino. He's 18, I think, right, Barco?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's 18. He scored in the Copa Sudamericana final, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's—he's he's the real deal, I think. And he would be—I think—he's going to be the biggest transfer fee in MLS history if—if it, if it happens.
1: I, I heard 12 million dollars. Is
2: that correct? No, I heard—I four, heard 14 as of uh, earlier today. 14.
1: But Atlanta are that kind of team. I mean, they did it with Almiron last year, right? No one thought... Everyone thought Almiron is going to, uh, I don't know, AC Milan, Arsenal, Zenit St. Petersburg, and then they ended up going to... He ended up going to Atlanta United, which took everyone by surprise. So I guess at this point, we wouldn't be too shocked if they could pull it off again.
2: No, I I wouldn't be surprised at all, and I think uh, it's what Atlanta wanted. If they can become the hotbed for South American talents, they say, oh, I want to come here. That'd be mm-hmm. great. And this guy Barco, I think he's he plays as a attacking mid, maybe a center forward. Uh, definitely to in that role, but he can play on the left wing as well. Oh. If you go on transfer mark like I am now, the only comparable player is Kai Havitz. So that's a, a good sign if, if you're in that that club. Yeah, those two 18 year olds. Yeah, that's that's a good comparison
1: because Kai Havitz <laughs> is of course um, a hot prospect. Is is maybe the best way to describe him. But yeah I, I, I mean, if they pulled us off, that that'd be absolutely incredible. And then Atlanta, um, maybe the the could become that club in the east to really challenge Toronto
2: um, in a medium yeah. term, right. The thing is, I don't know if they would have to to sell maybe Almorron, and the th- the thing when I was looking it up earlier today. I read the reports that said it. According to other sources, Atlanta turned down 20 to 25 million for Almiron in the summer, and then I was reading things from November that said he was linked with Arsenal. I was like, mm. really? But he's he's good. He's definitely. I mean, the way that Arsenal been, he could play for Arsenal. But you know, if they if they sell a player for 30 million, uh, well, I guess actually the league is going to take a lot of that money. Yeah. But they w- they would have cash to to buy Barco in future signings, and I guess Bar. Uh, I guess, no, sorry, I was thinking of something else.
1: Yeah, but it would be, I mean, that would be such a landmark deal if Almiron, you know, went from Argentina um, to MLS, a move that was criticized back at home, right, as a dead end, and then still gets a big money transfer to go to no- to Europe after that. Then all of a sudden, players all over South America will be like, hmm, I guess that is a good in-between step, right? I get my salary on time. I get to play in perfect facilities, fantastic coaching staff, and I can still get that big move to Europe. I think that would be a landmark for MLS if they, if that happens.
2: Yeah, and honestly, I think it, it could start a trend of if the South American players are all migrating to MLS, then Europe is going to be looking just at MLS to pick up those players because... You can let some... Uh, like it's, If you're sending yourselves to South America, that's far. That's very far. So if you're letting MLS do some of the legwork, you pay a little bit of a premium. But at the end of the day, you're not going to have to pay MLS ex- exorbitant fees to pry these players away.
1: Yeah, and MLS is all about making money, right? The owners, because the way the transfer works, a certain percentage goes to the club and the rest goes to the goes into a pool, which is then shared uh, among the different clubs, a.k.a. the owners. So uh, they, they, it's, it is... A league designed to make money, love it or hate it, but that's the way the way it is designed. So
2: yeah, at the end of the day, it's an American entity, and uh, everything is a business. So yeah, exactly. So I
1: I could see that
2: uh, being the case, and
1: I guess if we if we are already with South Americans, we'll have to go to Vancouver because Vancouver went to Venezuela as well in signing Anthony Blondel. Um, I think that's a really fascinating signing, and I'm, I'm curious to see how. How he's going to work out there. He's he's quite a big guy. Um, I guess he is he's six foot one if you go by by North, North American measures. Um, from what I've seen him, um, from what I've seen from him in Venezuela, uh, a league that's actually, uh, by, according to IFFS, uh, ranked above MLS right now. I, I I don't I'm not a big believer in league rankings, but sure it shows that he can do it in a competitive league. He he scored scored a lot of goals last year, and uh, but
2: can he do it on a cold, wet night in Cascadia? Manc- yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Vancouver is a roof, so I'm not too worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's why I know I <laughs> couldn't say Vancouver, but yeah, Portland, Seattle when he's,
1: That well, that's a good point. Although the season, but you know,
2: you know he can do it in a hot, humid yeah afternoon in, in Texas. You know, in those games, that's, yeah. that's sometimes where it's
1: awesome. And most of the season is played in the summer,
2: right? Yeah.
1: Uh, the playoffs, although you know, the playoffs. November in Seattle when it's rainy and foggy but I guess that's why Vancouver also signed K Kamara. Um this has been a deal long time coming. Uh, he's a bit older, 33, experienced guy, but also a guy with a bit of a reputation, right, Jack?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh I think he's he's definitely one of the most recognizable players in MLS and for whatever reason maybe because his his crazy hair when what he put a slice of pizza on the side of his hair that was awesome yeah. but uh he was uh, with he's he's been around he's been everywhere he was drafted i guess by the columbus crew played for the earthquakes houston uh supporting kansas city then back to the crew played for the revs and now he's going to go to vancouver but i think he's a, a class player that knows the league inside it out mm-hmm. knows what works and he's going to fit in well for that system in Vancouver, especially if, uh, like we were talking about a little bit before the pod, which which you'll go into, but if you have theorized what Carl Robinson is planning on doing.
1: Yeah, I think that Carl Robinson is, you know, the big question mark is Freddie Montero. Um, Word is in Vancouver that they're still trying to sign him. I personally think it's going to be very difficult to sign him. And I think that with Anthony Blondel and Kay Kamara, the two big forwards that are also fast, you know, physical... I feel that Vancouver you saw shades of this last season and um you know, we we always joked in the press box and we looked at the stats. Vancouver always was the team that had the less amount of per, of ball possession, yet they still finished third in the Western Conference. So they were not they they were not a pushover team. They were just a team that liked to sit deep and then really hit teams on the counter attack. And I think Anthony Blondell and Kay Camara they fit in well into that mode of tall, strong attacking players that can quickly um, make that transition through midfield and outpace the opposition but also have that physical element to not be separated from the ball. And um, Carl Robinson had, has signed a lot of players like that recently. The exception, of course, being Freddie Montero and Hardy Reina. And those are... hardy uh, Reina is uh, staying in Vancouver. Uh, they will need him um, even in the system because you still need someone in the middle to, to hold it all together if freddie montero i'm not so sure because you can't really play Hardy Reina and freddie montero so well together if you're going for that uh, that speed and uh, physical element because freddie montero like Hardy Reina, holds up the ball a little bit and I, I wonder almost if vancouver have said okay well we're always going to be a team that's going to give the majority of possession to the the other side and uh, therefore we need to be able to to have that strong physical element with speed and pace and that's why they went out and signed Anthony Blondell and Kay Kamara. And it's, it's maybe an indication that, um, that they're going tall, f- strong, and physical. Um, remember that that kind of player also helps you break down when you sit deep, right, and uh, teams trying to lob you with high balls, having these tall attacking players as well as tall midfielders in your lineup that helps you break that down and then be able to quickly pour forward. So that is my theory at least. Um, it would fit from what I saw. What I saw last season, and I'm curious to see if I'm right. I mean, um, it's sadly that means made that Freddy Montero won't return. I'm a big fan of Freddy Montero. I think he's a class player. You said before the pod, right, that even Seattle fans still love him, even though he signed for the biggest competitor or, or the biggest rival. Um, but he's he's such a class player, Jack. So I I hope he comes back, but I'm not too optimistic.
2: Yeah, I'm just not sure if, like you said, making these signings. If there's going to be really too much money available for for to you know to buy him off from what is it Tianjin TEDA? I don't know if his his loans up at the end of the year, which is how most MLS contracts work. But yeah. I don't I don't know if there's going to be five million to to pay a Chinese team maybe if (laughs) Almiron leaves Atlanta they'll give somebody to Vancouver I don't know if that how that how that works yeah yeah we'll see
1: something to keep an eye on but yeah I'm not too optimistic but hey but yeah I
2: don't know regardless about about Vancouver's playing style I think that could make for a really solid team you know that last Mm -hmm. year they were uh they only had the fifth best goal difference in the Western Conference of plus one so obviously Robinson knows how to get results at at times with just uh, on fine margins and if you have a big team it's going to be hard to beat them from set pieces and that's a i think uh an area in this league where you really can steal a couple goals here and there
1: yeah especially in the west right where it's always you know vancouver had a losing record on the road but they still had the best away record <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's uh that i think that that's very telling and so a lot of games are very tight in the western conference and
2: We'll but I, I don't know. Uh, we have another piece of news to go over, and mm-hmm. it's that uh, Alfonso Davies was apparently invited for a trial by Manchester United.
1: Training. I think that's uh, trial was the, the thing that was spread in the news because he is seven, he's just turned 17. He is a non-EU citizen, right? He's not allowed to get a transfer until he's… Even
2: though Canada to... is still loyal to the crown, I guess, you know, it's yeah. not in the.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's 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 uh, considered by FIFA a transfer of a minor, right? Uh, it would mean that his parents, who are immigrants to Canada, would have to move to England with him to get a job, and I think that would be a tough thing to sell, especially considering that his parents are refugees from Liberia. Um, I think there is a lot of interest with Alfonso Davis, and I think Manchester United simply want to see what he has. But I personally don't think that would be a move good for him. Um, he needs to go to a small team in the Netherlands or in Germany, you know, where he gets lots of playing time. Once he's eighteen, um, I think. That, yeah, and
2: that's not until the second of November, two thousand eighteen. So that's yeah, that's, after oh, what, next year? Off. Eleven months off, still. Yeah. yeah, next after next year,
1: which would be a good time for him, I think, to make
2: that move. Give him
1: another year in MLS. His playing time has been growing. Uh, in Carl Robinson, he has a coach that likes him, that plays him. Um,
2: yeah, he made 36 appearances across all competitions. Yeah. That's, it's a lot, but only 1,600 minutes. You know, you can't burn him out. So, it's Carl Robinson understands that.
1: And he played for the Canadian national team at the Gold Cup. He, he won the award for the best youngster, right? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. It was just announced Pulisic was the American national player of the year, and Davey's the Canadian. So, so yeah, he's it's, it's great. He already has five caps and yeah. three goals for the senior national team.
1: A huge talent. Absolutely, and he will go his way, but he, he will have to go to the right club. And I think sitting on a bench in Manchester is not gonna be the right move for him. Go to Mainz or somewhere in the area, <laughs> PSV or, you know, um, Groningen, one of those teams that where they really want to play you. I and mean, we saw with Odegaard who went from straight to Real Madrid and what a disaster that was. That's It's not gonna work. Yeah. You need to go to a small club in Europe where you guarantee guaranteed to play every second game
2: you follow Bill Amid to Mitchelland.
1: <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> know,
2: even that wouldn't be a bad move for yeah.
1: a year or two. And then you can still go to a big European team. But I think the mid table Bundesliga side or a top team in, in Holland or Belgium, that'd be perfect for him um, at this stage. And that's really, I hope personally he has the right agent that sets him up that way and puts him into that direction. I see Alfonso Davis play a lot. I think there's a lot there, but it's also still very raw. Uh, te- especially in terms of tactics Um, he still makes a lot of decisions where you're like hmm that wasn't that wasn't the smart thing to do there and uh, I think he needs to go somewhere where they're gonna teach him that and I don't know if Manchester United have the time to teach him that so I think he that's fundamentals that I still need to be taught and hopefully he'll he'll make the right move because Canada needs a face um, the, someone like him you know who can really help the country like someone like P- what police are just doing right now in the united states davis needs to do the same for canada
2: yeah and i think it is important that he at least will finally that the eu citizen or passport law is working well because i think if he stays in vancouver for at least another year that's mm. that's good for canadian soccer yeah absolutely
1: well jack i think that's it
2: yeah i think that's all we have time for it was a Pretty comprehensive episode and i think we're gonna have still a lot more discussion mm-hmm. that's going on because the mls off season is maybe busier than the mls season just because of everything that's happening
1: yeah and we'll learn all about gms tems and all this other stuff that uh, you need to know about mls in order to understand transfers
2: <laughs> yeah oh yeah looking forward to to examining some more of it i have a rule book somewhere
1: it's i think it's a 2,300 pages. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, guys, until next time, cheers and bye-bye. Bye.